Sahara. Pigment. Candiologists. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story today is health news. This is from FiercePharma.com. Ooh. <laughs> is that with a PH? Fierce? Um, no, but they should oh. have done that. That was, a, that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, that's disappointing. The headline is, he's in. Shark Tank star Cuban launches generics maker promising radically low-cost drugs. Um, billionaire investor Mark Cuban is famous for critiquing startup plans on the hit TV series Shark Tank, often dismissing would-be entrepreneurs with the show's famous line, I'm out. But Cuban has also been a longtime critic of high health costs, and he's now jumping in to offer a solution. Cuban has launched a new company called Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drugs, hmm. which is, I just kind of think is a funny name, but... It's not, a very, it's I, not very catchy, but I guess it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Um, which has a plan to offer low-cost rivals to overpriced generic drugs. The company is launching with one product so far that they will sell at 90% less than the current average price. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, Cuban's plan is to disclose the cost of development and distribution for each of its products and then add a 15% margin to land on a wholesale price. And this is a quote from him. This makes sure we remain viable and, and profitable. There are no hidden costs, no middlemen, no rebates, only available to insurance companies. And they call this they call this approach radically transparent. So the whole idea is like we're just going to post publicly like everything, all of the expenses for this, and why we're charging the price we're charging, and like why and what our margins are and everything, so that wow. people can just like be informed about that stuff. Isn't that doesn't Costco do something similar where they won't sell anything that they can't like just do like a fifteen percent margin or something like that? Um, I don't know. I I've heard rumors of that, but I don't know if it's true. But yeah. I, they definitely like they're not as radically transparent. Yeah, they're not. Um but I do know that they have publicly and like told people like certain products that they're selling like either at cost or like with a some given margin only. Hmm. But I don't know if it's like everything or if it's just certain things that okay. they announce from time to time like oh just so you know like this is the, Yeah, I don't really know, but yeah. They, yeah, they have some kind of business practice yes. like that, I think. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know the details, so maybe I shouldn't have said anything. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's fine. I also don't know the details. We don't always know everything. Yay! Yay. Uh, and then this said that um, this new company plans to, to be marketing more than 100 additional drugs by the end of 2021, which seems like a pretty like fast ramp up to me. Yeah, that, that's this year. That's this year, I still, yeah. It's still that... Part of the year where I haven't quite caught on to the fact that it's 2021 <laughs> yet. So. Yeah, it still still feel, kind of feels like 2020. Yeah, but even though it's February it on Monday. It is 2021. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so weird. You're right. It, it is. is Fe- it's almost February. Yeah. We're already a month in. Yep. Whoa. This is already our last episode of January this year. Whoa. Wild. Time flies. When you're having fun. Yay. <laughs> my first story is science news. This is from a website called hyperallergic.com. Oh, oh no. Okay. It, has, it has nothing to do with the story, the name oh, of it. Okay. So it's apparently some kind of art journalism website. Oh. But I don't know where the name comes from. Hmm. Anyway, the headline is Meet Yinman 
the first new blue pigment in two centuries. Ooh. Got a new blue. How I, is that? How are there? Okay, I will, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. Okay. I, I don't know if that question's going to be answered, but I'm going to... Okay. But maybe... I don't know. We'll find I out. I didn't quite finish my question, but I think you know what I I'm going to I think I know ask. what you're going to say, and I don't think it's going to be answered. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> for the first time in two centuries, a new chemically made pigment of the color blue is available for artists. Yinmin Blue. And it's spelled capital Y, capital I-N, capital M-N. Um... So I don't actually know if it's pronounced Yunmin or if it's supposed to be like Y-I-N-M-N. Anyway, it's named after its components, yttrium, indium, and manganese. Whoa. Those are the chemical symbols for those. Um, And its vivid pigment never fades, even if it's mixed with oil and water. Uh, A team of chemists at Oregon State University was experimenting with rare earth elements while developing materials for use in electronics in 2009 when the pigment was accidentally created. So this whole thing was a mistake. Nice. As all the best colors are. Uh, A graduate student named Andrew Smith mixed uh, yttrium, indium, manganese, and oxygen at about 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And what emerged from the furnace was a never-before-seen brilliant blue compound. I'm going to show you a picture of it because it is—it's okay. very, very blue. Okay. Um, I just imagine opening the furnace and just like that doesn't look right. <laughs> it's just an—it's an unnaturally blue blue. Okay. Uh, the university patented the color in 2012, but it took five more years until the United States Environmental Protection Agency uh, approved Yinmin at first only for use in industrial coatings and plastics. Uh, but last May, that is May 2020, the government agency officially approved the new pigment for commercial use, making it available to all. Ooh. Uh, blue pigments, which date back 6,000 years, have been traditionally toxic and prone to fading. Oh. Um, but that's not the case with Yinmen, which reflects light and absorbs UV radiation, making it cooler and more durable than pigments like cobalt blue, which is a good thing. Though they didn't discount the toxic thing. Imagine you still don't want to eat it, but that's probably true for that's most. Prob- yeah, paint. so for mo- most raw pigments, most yeah, most raw pigments you probably don't want to eat them. Just chemicals. Right. So uh, since the discovery, the team have expanded their research, producing a range of new pigments from bright oranges to shades of purple, turquoise, and green. They continue to search for a new stable, heat-reflecting, and brilliant red, calling it the most elusive color to synthesize. So they haven't been able to figure out red, but I guess not on accident they've created several other colors. Hmm. But uh, this is what Yinmen looks like. I'm excited to see the picture. Wow, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's almost it's almost unnatural. I mean, it is unnatural. That's literally it's, it's non organic, but yeah, it's it's extremely blue, <laughs> aggressively blue. One might say it's. It's such a pure blue color. It's like you think of blue and you're like that. Yeah. Exactly. It's not it's not light blue. It's not really navy blue. Yeah. It just looks blue, like pure just blue. It's kind of like a royal blue, but it's still different. It's I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. You have to you almost have to see it, which is terrible <laughs> yeah. for a podcast, I know, but you know, <laughs> we'll share the story so you'll get to see it. My next story is world news. This is from livescience.com. 
And shout out to listener Pete for sending me this. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. The headline is, Ice Covers the Sahara Desert for Just Fourth Time in 50 Years. That seems, that seems good. It's... <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if this had any like negative environmental repercussions, and I didn't even think about that, and the article didn't talk about that at all. Yeah. So... I mean, I was but more you thinking just made me that think it's, about that. I was, yeah, I, I was just more thinking it's a bad sign for the environment, not so yeah, much that it would yeah. like damage the Sahara. <laughs> it's a sign that things are changing. Uh-huh. Yes, <laughs> it is. So last week, one of the world's driest places awoke to an otherworldly dusting of frost. In a portion of the Sahara Desert, sand dunes were streaked with ice crystals as far as the eye could see. Local photographer Karim Bouchitada captured the unusual weather in pictures and videos that have since made headlines around the world. While summer temperatures in this region usually soar above 100 degrees Fahrenheit, January days average a much milder 57, according to Sky News, but last week it went negative 27 overnight, Hmm. and that's why this happened. Um, and this article said that snow and ice accumulation in, an, in the northern Sahara is unusual but not completely unprecedented. This instance marks the fourth time in 42 years that this particular area has seen snow, or at least that like it's been documented like this, with previous occurrences in 1979, 2016, and 2018. So hmm. two of those are like recently, hmm. which is like, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. In the last five years, you say. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but apparently those past snowfalls were actually much heavier than what happened this time. Um, this said that in 2018, some areas of northwestern Algeria saw up to 15 inches of snow. Oh, wow. Which is crazy to me. Um, huh. And in 2016, there were, I mean, it doesn't, it didn't get specific about this, but it said that there were some areas that got three feet of snow. But like, I don't know if that was like a really, like small area or something. Oh, okay. But yeah, that was the, the 2016 cold that's a lot spell of, or whatever. That's a lot of snow. Yeah, especially for an area that's normally a desert. A desert, yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the, there's a picture of it, what it looked like. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, isn't it? It's pre- it's bad, but it's pretty. Yeah, it's kind of, it is, it's pretty looking. <laughs> and it's, you know, rare, or at least was rare. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Um, oh. <laughs> so maybe this will happen more often. <laughs> we'll wait and see. We but can yeah, only they, hope not. <laughs> we, I hope not. But yeah, now, now I, it, that just got me thinking about, like, I wonder what effect this has on the wildlife. Like, I honestly have no idea. Yeah. I mean, deserts normally get pretty cold at night, but I don't think... The deserts think in the U.S. do, that, but oh, I don't know is if... Is that not the case there? Well, I don't know. It might be different there because, yeah. like... For sure in the U.S., like the Southwest U.S., mm-hmm. that happens for sure. But, like, I don't know if, like, the African deserts do. Um, yeah, because, I But I guess why I wouldn't I thought that they? was just a desert thing, but maybe it's not. And, like, they are more equatorial, I think, than, like, the United States deserts. So. You know what? I could be wrong. You're probably right. It I probably does get super cold. It just doesn't, like, the precipitation doesn't happen. Yeah. I'm mostly cold. going off of video games that have taught me that, so. Well, because there's nothing to, like, hold in the heat. So it makes sense. Mm. I don't know. I'm not a geologist. I'm not a meteorologist or or a geologist <laughs> or a 
Desertologist. Desertologist. Yep. My next story is dinosaur news. This is from Inverse.com. A new skull of a lost species reveals a bizarre ancient animal. It's a very vague, kind of misleading headline. <laughs> we found a new okay. we found a new skull of a species we knew about, but we haven't seen in a while. It doesn't reveal a bizarre ancient animal. We knew about this animal, <laughs> but <laughs> thank you for out, clarifying. The we headline. found out a little bit more about this creature, and okay. it's interesting. So I wanted to share. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, new research published in the journal Peer J focuses on a unique dinosaur feature a bizarre tube shaped crest resting on the skull of the rare Parasaurolophus. Oh boy, I'm stepping in it with this one. Para- Parasaurolophus certocristatus. Certocristatus. The study highlights the first such discovery of a. They said it again. <laughs> of this dinosaur skull in 97 years. So this is the first one we've seen in almost 100 years. Uh, cool. The genus of this creature is part of a class of duck-billed dinosaurs known as hadrosaurids, which include the nasal-crested Lambiosaurinae family. No problem with that one, apparently. Uh, scientists <laughs> compared one newly discovered skull specimen from the Fruitland Formation, a geological site in New Mexico, to another fossil of this creature in Utah. They keep saying the name, but I'm not going to. Uh, through this comparison, scientists were able to better uh, map the evolution of the species and figure out just how it develops as a, such a bizarre tube-shaped head crest. And this is the main reason I brought this article, because I love this description. This is Terry Gates, a paleontologist from North Carolina State University, and he says, Imagine your nose growing up your face, three feet behind your head, then turning around to attach above your eyes. Wait, what? Wait, can you read that again? Your nose growing up your face, so just straight up your face, three feet behind your head, and then turning around to attach above your eyes. So, like, it goes back, like, past the head, and then curves back around to, like, reconnect. And essentially, these this is the nostril of this creature. Um... This, That's this, so this animal breed, breathed through eight feet of pipe before oxygen ever reached its head. Like, this bone structure was eight feet long. So, How and is every that breath like... they took, they just had to be like... How is that? I mean, I, if you but adapt then they're able to, to that. They're if... able to make sound with it. Oh. Um, and they think... and. Uh, that's most of what I have left to say is that we we don't actually have enough archaeological material to draw further conclusions about the strange creature. Um, and more re- research is required to fully understand the evolutionary function of the head crest. But after decades of study, researchers are quite confident that the crest function primarily as a sound resonator and a visual display used to communicate within their own species. So they could basically toot their own horn and All make right. sounds that they could use to communicate. And, like, I guess having that much space would allow for that. Yeah. Same as, like, any large brass instrument. I was um, just thinking, like, an elephant. Mm-hmm. They have long yeah. noses. They have, a, they have a long nose, That too. they can make noise through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, just imagine if elephants had their no- those if their the noses, nose like, went they were, like, up went their up face their and face behind and, behind, and it was just, like, stuck like that. Yeah. It was permanently like that. 
It's basically like, what we they think do that's kind of weird, but like we would just be used to it if elephants were that way. That's true. Elephants are pretty weird when you think about it. They are. Sorry to all our elephant kind listeners. Of, I love elephants, but they look so different from everything else. <laughs> this is true. This is very Other true. Other than their, like the four-leggedness, but like their faces yeah. are just so unique. It's true. They're weird animals. And so are these. My next story is food news. This is from my fave. Delish.com. That was going to be my first guess and also my second. Uh, the headline is, you can get paid $30 an hour to eat candy, and it sounds like the perfect job. Oh. Today in Knickknack News brings you job postings. <laughs> we're just trying to um, get you something here. Yeah. We're just trying to be helpful. Yep. If your ideal workday is sitting around eating candy and judging... Well, we have great news for you. Go on. (laughs) This is an actual job that exists. You can get paid serious cash to do it, and more than one person will get the honor. It's all thanks to Candy Funhouse. Uh, This company is hiring part-time and full-time candyologists, a.k.a. candy and chocolate taste testers, to help the company try out and narrow down which candies will be part of a first-ever Candy Funhouse branded candy line. The line will feature 10 candies, but they'll first need to be narrowed down from hundreds of options. So you get to try hundreds of different candies. Oh, wow. If you want the job, you should have enthusiasm and eagerness to try confectionery products. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd say that's a bare minimum. (laughs) Um, And uh, you have to consider aspects of taste, texture, and quality. I'm surprised they didn't say mouthfeel on there. They just said texture. Mouthfeel. That would have sounded more fancy. (laughs) Uh, And then you have to write brief two-sentence descriptions of the products. That's like the job description, basically. All right. Uh, Yeah. And they, if you like apply and get the full-time position, they're saying it pays $30 an hour. And there's a part-time one also open that can be done from home that is $26 an hour. So. So I could just eat candy in my house. Yeah. And that's my job now? Yes. Hmm. That's what they're saying. All right. Doesn't that sound fun? (laughs) I don't know. It makes me feel like there's, like, maybe too much of a good thing here. Like, by, by like, the hundredth kind of candy that you're trying. Are you you not going to just be like, oh, my gosh, more sugar? I guess um, I'm not sure, like, what is the rate at which you're supposed to be trying these candies. Like... Do they want you to try like a hundred every day or something <laughs> crazy like that? Because that would be that would be crazy. not fun. Yeah, I don't think that, and also not healthy. <laughs> also that. That's yeah. A also, lot wait. Of sugar to if consume. this is a full time job, what else are you? Are you just doing this all day? Unless you're right. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> trying one candy a day for several years. Yeah, but how can they have? <laughs> how can that be a full time job? <laughs> Do you just keep eating that candy that day? I don't know. And you wouldn't want to just be like trying one candy right after another because your palate wouldn't cleanse between them. You're right. You do have to cleanse your palate. Like, what if you have a warhead? Like, your tongue is going to be messed up for a little while. You have to reset after that. Right. I don't know. Like I said, too much of a good thing. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe too good to be true. Who knows? Hey, if you're willing to risk it. I'm just a messenger here. Yeah. I'm just. I just want to let everybody know <laughs> that you can apply to this 
if you're interested, until February 15th. <laughs> and um, we at Knickknack News like to sometimes uh, talk about fun and job openings because yeah, this is the why cla- not? This is the classified section. <laughs> yeah. This is from Inc.com, Inc.com. Oh. Uh, the headline reads, Researchers combed through thousands of songs and found this one word predicts a hit. So it's not quite a job offer, oh. but we might be able to make you a pop star. Can I guess, it, it is the word in the title or the body of the song? The examples they give, it's the title, but I don't think it's... That's the important part. So, okay, okay. Do you have a guess? The. No. Love. Mm-mm. Okay, I give up. <laughs> I don't know. All right. <laughs> There's too many words. I will reveal it in a couple of sentences. Uh, according to new research from a pair of marketing professors, there is one common element that makes a song much more likely to be a hit. Uh, Wharton marketing professor Jonah Berger and his collaborator Grant Packard of York University used natural language processing to analyze thousands of hits to see if they could, uh, if anything in the language of their lyrics could explain their success. Uh, their results: songs that contain the word "you" more often are more likely to be hits, but specifically when "you" is the the object of a sentence. Uh, as in songs like Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You and Queen's We Will Rock You. Oh, okay. You see that? You yes. see why that could be the case? Um, I do see so, why that could be the case. So yeah, they then they designed experiments to see why the grammatical position of the you matters. As it turns out, it's not because we imagine the artist singing to us. Instead, the researchers discovered that these songs remind us of times when we've felt similarly. Um, by putting ourselves in the singer's shoes, we recall and enrich our own memories. Uh, Berger explains, this gets to the core of why we like cultural products. They help us see our own relationships, our own social connections, as deeper and different than they might be otherwise. When Whitney Houston is singing I Will Always Love You, it causes us to think about, this is really an amazing romantic song, Who Do I Love? It helps us think of a closer, a close other in our own lives. So basically, like, you kind of imagine yourself singing the song to the object of that. And, yeah, that's, okay, that's, okay. that's what they discovered. That makes sense. It's not just because you think Whitney Houston is telling you that she will always love you. <laughs> <laughs> if they had Which said is what that, I assumed I would, <laughs> initially. I, was like, I would have been hmm. like, okay. I don't know if I feel that way when I hear that song. <laughs> I don't know if I feel that way about Whitney Houston. Um, <laughs> this can be applied to things besides music as well. Uh, Before we buy a product or click a headline, we subconsciously ask ourselves, what's in this for me? How does this improve my life? Okay, It's not wrong. Um, Adding you to copy of any kind, therefore, instantly draws attention. Uh, This is Burger again. Uh, For example, if I'm reading an ad or a piece of mail or an email and a subject line says, you need to read this, or you won't believe what happens next, you think about the clickbait world, you often see a lot of second-person pronouns used in very successful online content because it encourages us to pay attention. Like this one? This one weird trick doctors don't want you to know. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, it's it's basically, it sounds like any time that we see the word you, we put ourselves into the situation and think about it 
that way. And that's why it's, and that's, that's cool to think about. Apparently they, they link to additional sources that, that, that kind of corroborate this, um, specifically with the song aspect of it. But yeah. I'm just like furiously trying to think of songs that have, that fit that in like the title of the song. I wish I thought of, I wish I thought of more examples. You're going to laugh at me. I'm going to admit this for a split second. I was like, call you maybe. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, it's call me, call me maybe. (laughs) That doesn't work. That doesn't, that one doesn't work. (laughs) I can't think of anything else. Though that song does have you like in the lyrics. I can't remember the lyrics right now, but remember, I'm sure it does. I can't that remember was the so s- catchy when it came out. I just remember like that was so catchy, and I couldn't get it out of my head. When you came into my life, it made me so glad. It made me so glad. Isn't that part of that song? Maybe. Call me? Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll think about it later. I think too. another example they gave was Despacito, because even though it's like not necessarily all in English, there's still a lot of... Like the you, mm-hmm. like direction of of words in that song. So, and a, a lot of popular love songs are written in that manner as well. Mm-hmm. And I think probably the assumption is that oh, it's just love songs and they're just classic and everybody just likes them. But maybe there is some kind of like underlying psychology. Happening well, there's there, probably so. yeah because you think about like who would I sing this to? And yeah. Like, what do I think of them? And then that makes you feel good. Yeah. Because you're thinking of a person that you love. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. That is super interesting. Okay, it's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly. Yinman. Ready, set, go! go! Okay, I have something from NBC News. The headline is, First private space crew paying $55 million each to fly to station. That's a, that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Um, and I guess this is the first time that flights to space have actually been offered and like tickets have been sold to just regular citizens. People. Yeah. Which is, whoa. That's wild. It seems like that. I assume they have to go through. Some, I shouldn't ask all these questions. Yet, I don't. But it's like I assume they have to go through some kind of training or something. Yes, this says that they did have to go through a training, okay. or they will have to go through a training. Where did I read that? Um, of like a few weeks or something. I just read this. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news. It people. heard. It heard you coming. It disappeared. Oh, here we go. Um, Everyone had to pass some certain medical tests in order to get approved, and they have to go through 15 weeks of training before the flight. Okay. Well, so that, seem, that seems a little more It's not just like, than, okay, yeah. here's your ticket. And Hop the, on this spaceship. Yeah. Are they just going to leave them up there? Or what's the plan? Yeah. <laughs> what's the plan? What's it get up there? Um, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, this is saying that Axiom... Is that SpaceX? What is Axiom? Um, I thought this said it was SpaceX. It's supposed to be on space a SpaceX spaceship. Maybe. I don't know what Axiom is. But then Axiom. Oh, here we go. It's just a company in Houston that arranged the trip. Oh. <laughs> Axiom Space. Like a space travel agency. I, yeah. <laughs> 
seems a little presumptuous. A space travel agency. Okay, well, that organization is going to plan two private missions a year to the space station, this says. Huh. All right. And they're also working to have live-in compartments on the station beginning in a few years from now. Okay. So, again, what are these people going to do? <laughs> I don't know. Are they literally just going to go up there and be like, we, we made it, and then go back? Like I. Either that like or they're going to stay there for like, gonna, like six months. But why? But doing what? Like I don't know. Isn't this International Space Station currently just like a bunch of scientists and astronauts like yeah. hanging out and like doing experiments and stuff? <laughs> like what are you going to Well, they have $55 like a, million dollars to just burn on this. Yeah. So maybe they can also run their billion dollar businesses from <laughs> From space? From space. I I have no idea. That's a really good question. Yeah, it just seems like it would be annoying for the scientists to have like a bunch of civilians (laughs) just running around going, what's this? What's this? What does this button do? And they're floating around behind them and stuff doing somersaults in the air. Yeah, they're just like running around like drinking like margaritas and stuff. (laughs) And there's all these scientists like doing actual like experiments like floating back behind them like to the Lido deck. (laughs) They're like, make a Lido deck on the space station. <laughs> There's just a buffet there every day. Yeah. I don't think they have that much food up there. But right. Yeah, I don't think that'd be... There's just idea. a buffet of space food. I don't think that'd be a good food. use of resources. <laughs> <laughs> then again, neither is this, so I don't know. <laughs> I, yes, I don't know. There's not a lot of details. This was just announced that this is happening and these people are signed up, so we don't even know who's on the list, so... <laughs> It's wild. Yeah, that's that, wild. That's wild. Um, yeah, I found this on Gizmodo. The headline is, Alexa can now bark like a dog to scare people away when you're not at home. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, so basically they're, Alexa, or Amazon is adding something called Alexa Guard Plus which is like a subscription service launching oh. this week for Amazon. Um, for So your Echo device um, gets some new security features. Uh, a couple of the things it sounds like come free, like it can alert you if it hears a smoke alarm going off or if it hears glass breaking. Oh. Um, and it can also do, if it, if it uh, determines that you're not home and you have like, lights connected to your smart home system it can like turn them on and off every once in a while to make it seem like you might be which is kind of cool and that's all free nice um this plus service adds the ability you can just be like alexa call for help and like it'll connect to emergency services um and then it'll also you'll also get the dog barking sound if motion is detected outside and um, it can also like sound a siren if activity is de- is detected inside. So basically, just using wow. sound to mess with anybody who gets into your house, which I think is pretty clever. It's kind of weird that they're charging money for it, but yeah, I don't know why they would charge money for the calling emergency services part. Yeah, that, that seems, seems a little, little weird, shady. Because like. Though I Why? guess I don't think like Echo doesn't require like a cell subscription or anything, right? Like it's just Wi-Fi. Oh yeah, so I you're guess right. That's true. It's like not actually connected to a cell service, maybe. Because you can. That's probably why. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're probably right. Because you can like make calls through it 
through your phone. Like you can use it as like a microphone speaker for your phone during a phone call if you're like next to it. But yeah, but it's just on its, it's own. Just it like a Bluetooth have, microphone at that. Yeah, point. right. Um, it sounds like if you have something called Ring Protect Plus, that this is going to be included for free, which is hmm. like the Ring security systems that people have for their homes. So okay, but yeah, neat, interesting, and I mean, obviously, the dog barking thing is hilarious and my favorite there's a comment on this story that says i hope it just barks in an alexa voice like doesn't even try to sound like a dog but just alexa going bark bark (laughs) (laughs) which would be pretty funny (laughs) um it's funny to me that they're releasing real features for this kind of thing because i i've seen like on the internet people talking about how they're going to set up like routine like automation routines for like the smart home and Alexa noises and stuff to like kind of do these types of things, but right. in ways that they engineered themselves. <laughs> like when you say Alexa, do this, like it would just like turn the lights red and like start playing <laughs> a certain song that would like, and like do certain things that would like scare somebody. Scare a burglar, yeah. 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 I mean, if you have enough of your smart home configured, I think that kind of thing is really easy to do. Um, yeah. yeah it's, Kind of neat. They're making it a first-party feature, like you said. Yeah. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday, and as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews, on Twitter at at knickknacknews, and on Instagram at knickknacknews. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.